You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's now open God's Word to the scripture reading for this morning. 1 Samuel 21, 1-6. The context here is that David who was anointed by God to be the king of Israel, but is not yet the king, is on the run from King Saul. David went to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Ahimelech the priest, The king charged me with a certain matter, and said to me, No one is to know anything about your mission and your instructions. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread, or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, Indeed, women have been kept from us, as usual, whenever I set out. The men's things are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. This morning we're continuing with our series on the Gospel according to Mark. We've come to verses 23 to 28 of Mark 2. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Beloved congregation of Christ, long time ago, a man had an idea. This idea was a good one, and like so many other good ideas, it was birthed by necessity. You see, for many years, European traders had been able to travel back and forth to Asia without any difficulty. It was a long journey, but it was possible. However, in 1453, the city of Constantinople fell to Islamic armies and land travel to Asia was no longer possible. And additionally, to sail to Asia was possible, but that required a very long and arduous journey around Africa. This man had a better idea. Perhaps he could sail directly to Asia, west across the Atlantic Ocean. He thought it could be done. 
And so in 1492, he set out to prove it. The man, of course, no surprise, was Cristoforo Colombo, whom we know better as Christopher Columbus. Columbus set out looking for a trade route to Asia, but what he found was something quite different. On October 12, 1492, Columbus sighted an island in the Bahamas, and thus began the modern European exploration and settlement of the Americas. Man sets out to find one thing, and instead he discovers another. The same thing can happen with our text for this morning. If your NIV Bible is like mine, it probably has a title over this section, Lord of the Sabbath. And many of us see that word Sabbath, and we instinctively think that this is going to be a text that tells us how to live. This is going to give us some concrete teaching about what we can and what we can't do on Sunday. We think this way. This is natural for us. We're hardwired for law. Romans 2.15 says that we have the requirements of the law written on our hearts. And so many of us are drawn to law. And sometimes it goes by the name of application. But in the end, it's all the same. Tell us how to live. Tell us five steps to keep the Sabbath day holy. For many of us, that's our our mindset when we come to a passage like this. We're looking to be told what to do. We're going to see this morning that we come to this passage looking for one thing. But like Columbus, what we find is something completely different. We come to this passage looking for the law, but what we find is the gospel. We come looking for someone to tell us how to live. And instead we find a Savior. We come looking for Moses. But who we find is Christ. And so I preach to you God's word with the theme, Jesus reveals himself as Lord of the Sabbath. Since it's been a while since we last looked at Mark, we need to back up for a moment and briefly look at the verses before this passage. You may remember that at the beginning of chapter 2, the Lord Jesus was in his house in Capernaum. And as he was teaching the crowds there in his house, suddenly the, the roof opened up. Some people had torn up the roof of his house and a paralytic was let down in front of him. And he forgave the sins of this man, this paralytic. And when he did that, some of the Jewish leaders were grossly offended. Who was he, Jesus of Nazareth, to forgive sins? Only God could do that. These same Pharisees were shocked when Jesus not only called Levi to be his disciple, Levi the tax collector, Scum of the earth extraordinaire. They were shocked when he did that. But when Jesus went to eat with Levi and the other so-called sinners, that was just too scandalous. 
This sort of thing is not done. Respectable and dignified rabbis just don't do this sort of thing. These are not the kind of people they hang around with. These Pharisees come back again to interrogate and harass Jesus about the fact that His disciples were not fasting. He tells them that it would be inappropriate for His disciples to fast while He's with them. And so one thing that emerges out of the context is this intensifying conflict between the Lord Jesus and the disciples. I mean the Pharisees, rather. Some of the Pharisees regarded themselves as the self-appointed guardians of public morality. They were like modern-day journalists who go around trailing important figures, watching very carefully, watching to see if they if they slip up in doctrine or in life. There was a, a popular rabbi. They would investigate him. They'd be all over him. And they would ensure that nothing was taught that contradicted their sense of right and wrong. They saw it as their job to keep Israel pure. To keep Israel on the righteous way. And so it happened that one Sabbath, Jesus was with His disciples. They were walking through a grain field, we're told. And His disciples began plucking the heads of grain to eat them. What they were doing is they were, they were taking the top part of the stalk and they would pick it apart and then they would roll it in their hands until the chaff was gone and that all that's left was the individual grains. And then they would pop those in their mouth and eat them. And anybody who's ever done this knows that it takes a lot of time to get a full stomach. Now notice the connection here with the passage that we looked at last time. The Lord Jesus told the Pharisees that His presence meant that His disciples could not fast. Now was a time for feasting and celebrating. Now here they are on the Sabbath. And they're eating with their Master. That's not exactly a grand feast like they enjoyed at, at Levi's house. But they're definitely not fasting. As they walk with Jesus, their rabbi, their master, their Lord, they enjoy His presence. As they do that, they can go ahead and they can eat. It's entirely appropriate for this moment for them to be doing this. Now the Pharisees didn't see it the same way. Like some sort of secret police, they were trailing behind Jesus and, and watching what He and His disciples were doing. It was happening today, you could almost see them with binoculars watching. They saw them plucking the grain and their, their, their hearts started beating faster. Aha! Now we've caught them! While the law of God did say that the Jews were allowed to go into their neighbor's fields and pluck standing grain, the same law also said that the Jews were not permitted to work on the Sabbath. The fourth commandment was clear enough on that point. And there were other passages like Exodus 31 that also stressed that. And over the centuries since Moses, the Jews debated the definition of work on the Sabbath. 
because to their minds, the law of God really hadn't been clear enough on that point. And so as time went on, the rabbis came to develop their own ideas of what was work and what wasn't. And according to the Pharisees, reaping, going out and collecting grain, was definitely considered to be work. And what the disciples were doing in plucking heads of grain, well, that was considered to be a form of reaping. And so, the Pharisees reasoned, they were definitely breaking the fourth commandment. The Pharisees weren't going to stand idly by and let this slip. This was a serious infringement of public morality. So they spoke up and said to Jesus, Look! Why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? They were outraged and shocked at what they were seeing. And that outrage is captured with the the word look. And the question that follows is not a genuine question. As if the Pharisees were really curious as to what was going on. As if they were saying, listen, Jesus, we just can't figure this out. Won't you please explain it to us? This was more along the lines of the kinds of questions you hear in Ottawa in the House of Commons during question period. It's a, it's a question with a point, a question with an edge. And when the Lord Jesus was tempted by the devil, you'll remember that he responded with Holy Scripture. And you remember how the devil tempted him? The devil tempted him with God's word. By twisting God's word. Just like he did in the Garden of Eden. But the Lord Jesus responded with God's word in its correct and authoritative interpretation. And the same thing, the exact same thing happens here. He's questioned, or better yet, attacked by the Pharisees, and he again responds with the word of God. The Pharisees have twisted God's word, put an interpretation on it that it was never meant to have. And Jesus responds with the correct and authoritative interpretation of the word of God. He answered, have you never read And before we look at the content of the Bible passage he referred to and how he uses it here, let's just pause for a moment and gaze at our Savior. He's being attacked and maligned by his enemies. He gives the perfect response by pointing them back to Scripture, to his word, rightly understood. You know what? Loved ones, this is part of his perfect obedience for us. The word of God was on his lips and on his heart in a perfect way. When Adam was attacked by Satan in the garden, he should have said, no, Satan, you've got it all wrong. You're twisting God's word. God has said that we're not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said it clearly, and that settles it. 
As someone once said, instead of eating the fruit, Adam should have killed the snake and eaten it. But he didn't. More often than we care to admit, neither do we. When we're tempted, we're attacked. Often we don't respond in the right way. The Word of God is not consistently on our lips and hearts. And even when it is, we have to be honest, sometimes it's not the right interpretation of God's Word. But breathe a sigh of relief. And look here in our text and see your Savior. Here's the second Adam who consistently responded in the right way with the very Word of God rightly understood. And you know, He did it for us. His perfect obedience, God passes on or imputes to us. He covers for all our weaknesses and all our failings. And so we are right before God. And you see, it's in this way that there's good news, even in those four words, have you never read? The obedience of our Savior is put on display for us when He responds to the Pharisees. And not only His obedience, but also His wisdom. He knows what is appropriate for this exact moment. And so He points to what happened in the passage we read from 1 Samuel 21. In that passage, David and those with him went to the priestly city of Nob while he was fleeing from Saul. He asked for food. And the only food available was the bread of the presence. What we used to call the show bread. These were the twelve loaves of bread that sat on a, a gold table in the holy place in the tabernacle. There were twelve loaves. And those twelve loaves stood for the twelve tribes. And they were symbols of Israel's fellowship with God. Every Sabbath... The old bread was taken away and new, fresh loaves were put in their place. And that old bread that was taken away, normally that old bread could only be eaten by the priests. But because of the circumstances there in 1 Samuel 21, an exception was made. Now you may have noticed a small discrepancy between 1 Samuel 21 and Mark 2. In 1 Samuel, we read about Ahimelech. Well, in Mark 2, the Lord Jesus speaks about Abiathar. How do we explain this difference? I think the best explanation is found in the fact that Ahimelech was the father of Abiathar. And later on, Abiathar was closely connected and famously connected, actually, with the reign of David. He was well known as a high priest. And as a result, when referring back to this era, this general era, the Jews would say that it happened during the days of Abiathar, the high priest. Abiathar was alive. And even though he may not have been directly involved, we don't read about him in 1 Samuel 21, at least not in that passage. It happened in his time. 
And so there's no conflict between what Jesus says here in Mark 2 and what we read in 1 Samuel 21. It's simply a matter of the way people talk about a certain time in history. Now Jesus' point in referring back to this event is that David was God's anointed. Even though at that particular point in time he wasn't sitting on the throne, right? You remember he was running from from Saul. But he'd still been anointed by God to be the king. And as God's anointed, David had the right to set aside a divinely ordained ceremonial law when necessity demanded it. David's authority as God's anointed allowed him to do this. Now, the argument goes, if David had the right to do this, to set aside a divine ceremonial law, then certainly also Jesus, who is God's anointed in a far more exalted sense, he has the right to set aside all kinds of man-made interpretations of the fourth commandment. David the lesser did it with a divine ceremonial law. Certainly Jesus the greater can do it with a man-made interpretation of one of God's laws. You see what's implied here? Jesus is drawing a parallel between himself and David. In 1 Samuel 21, David had been anointed, but he had not gained the throne. In Mark 2, Jesus is the anointed of God as well. Peter reminds us in Acts 10 that Jesus was anointed at his baptism in the Jordan River. He was anointed king. So he is the true king of Israel. David's royal son, as we sang from hymn 25. In our text, he's not yet been recognized as such, and he, he's not yet enthroned. But he is here, and he has the same royal prerogatives, if not more, than his father David. With these words, our Savior is revealing himself to be our divine king. With all that involves... Here we see Jesus Christ as the one who rules with wisdom, the one who rules with compassion for his subjects. Rather than ruling them harshly and placing all kinds of extra burdens on them, he comes with a heart of love and feeds the hungry. Here's the king who is also the good shepherd. Our Savior is shown to us here as the king who intimately cares for us. He cares for you. But the Lord Jesus doesn't stop there. He not only reveals himself as the king in David's line, he also shows that he is the one who restores the Sabbath to what it was designed to be. The Sabbath didn't originate with the Mosaic Law or the Fourth Commandment. The Sabbath is something that we call a creation ordinance. 
That means it has its origin in the first two chapters of Genesis. After God created everything, He rested on the seventh day. And we know that His resting was meant to be a pattern for man because we're told so in the fourth commandment as it's given in Exodus 20. We can draw a parallel here with, with marriage because marriage is another creation ordinance. And like marriage, the Sabbath is a good gift of God to man. Marriage wasn't designed to be a burden. Neither is the Sabbath. God didn't give the Sabbath so that self-appointed Bible teachers could come up with all sorts of rules about what can and can't be done on this day. That's exactly what the Pharisees had done. And in so doing, they had destroyed the character of the day. They had vandalized it as a holy gift of God. And so it wasn't a day of joy and rest anymore. It was no longer a day of celebration, of celebrating freedom and redemption from Egypt. Instead, it became the day of counting your steps and watching how far you travel, watching the clock to make sure that it's the right time, that you're not accidentally working, and so on. The Pharisees had made the day a burden. The Lord Jesus who has not only anointed our king, but also anointed our chief prophet and teacher, brought back the true meaning and purpose of the Sabbath. He did that when he said in verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath was a gift. A gift from God to man. God gave it so that people would have a dedicated time for rest and worship. It's never meant to be a day of rules and regulations. And nobody understood that better than the one who has brought us into the rest of God, Christ Himself. In His compassion for us. And again, see your Savior here and His heart of love for you. In His compassion, Christ has revealed the goodness of God in this gift of the Sabbath. Now today, of course, we no longer have the Jewish Sabbath. It's true. The Lord's Day, the Sunday, has become the Christian Sabbath. The one day in seven given to us for rest and worship. Sabbath in Hebrew simply means rest. What a blessing, isn't it? What a blessing such a day like this is. And how we see the goodness of God in lifting our burdens so that we can freely come to church twice and we can sit under the means of grace. Together in God's presence, we can enjoy the feast of His Word and the sacraments. Lord willing, this afternoon we'll celebrate the sacrament of baptism. Next week, Sunday morning, we have the blessing of being able to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Wow. How we see God's mercy in giving us a day in which we have the freedom to focus on these things. To focus on spiritual things. 
a day to rest and relax from our normal daily activities. This day was made for us and for our blessing and our benefit. It just shows us God's goodness here. And that brings him to his concluding words in verse 28. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is what everything has been leading up to. Jesus is saying that if the Sabbath is God's gift to man, then the Sabbath really belongs to him. Since Jesus is the true human being, the Son of Man, the second Adam, it is the Lord's day. It belongs to him. And he is the one who brings that day back to what God had in mind for it from the beginning. Jesus Christ is shown to us here as being what mankind or who mankind was designed to be from the beginning. Lord and Master. As you remember, God gave the creation and all its institutions into Adam's hand. Adam was to have dominion over it. He was to fill the earth and subdue it. Adam was to be over the created order. Not the other way around. With the fall into sin, everything changed. The law became a master and a tutor, according to Galatians 3, over Adam and his offspring. And that included the Sabbath. With the coming of the second Adam, we see a restoration taking place. It is the restoration of God's image in man. Through this restoration in Christ, the Sabbath is restored to what it should be as well. Not a day of rules and regulations. Not a day that you dread. But a day you look forward to. A glorious and blessed day. A holy gift from God. A day for man. In Christ, we're now free to use this day the way it was intended from the beginning. Beloved, our text reveals a Savior who is the Lord of the Sabbath. Our text shows us Jesus Christ, the one whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. We see a Savior here, not a new Moses. He's our Savior. And we can be grateful that each Sunday we can enjoy His day. His being Lord of the Sabbath confirms to us that this day is a gift from God, just as Christ Himself was and is a gift. We celebrate this day knowing that glorious redemption that we have in the risen Christ. We have every reason to be filled with joy when Sunday comes along. Remembering Christ. Remembering His victory over sin and death. And so, with thankful, spirit-filled hearts, we'll rest from what we normally do, our normal labors, and devote this day to worshiping our God, the God of our salvation. When somebody gives you a gift, you take it. And if you don't take it, you know what that is. But in taking this gift with gratitude, we also look forward to the eternal Sabbath. 
the eternal Sabbath, for the age to come, the time when we will rest from all our sinful works forever. And then we'll worship God like there's no tomorrow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in our busy lives, we thank You for the gracious gift of the Sabbath. We thank You that You give us a holy day of rest and worship. Christ Jesus, we praise You as the Lord of the Sabbath, the One who restored this day to its proper meaning and purpose. We thank You also for Your perfect obedience given to us. We praise You for Your compassion for us, for us who are broken, weak, and weary. And Holy Spirit, we pray that You would fan the flame of our hearts so that the fire of our faith in this Savior grows hotter with each day. We pray that You would help us to see the goodness of our God and accept with gratitude this gracious and holy gift of one day in seven. Lord God, we pray for the coming of the eternal Sabbath. We earnestly ask that our Lord would come quickly with the clouds of heaven to inaugurate the age to come. This we all pray in the name of the Son of Man, the Lord of the Sabbath. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.